Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 8, Jeremiah chapter 8. <clears throat> the title this evening is Words That Kill, Words That Kill. We're speaking really of eternal death. Jesus said he, was the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's but one truth, and that's Christ and his word. And he said that those who hear these sayings of mine, which is his word, he likens to those who build their house on the rock. And when the storms come, that house will, will, will stand. He is, he is the word of life. And so he's the word of eternal life. And, and any, any other thing that we deem the truth are words that kill. Because he gives life. And again, his words are life. In chapter 8 here, it continues with Jeremiah's message that he started in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And as he stands in the gate of the Lord's house, he's saying, Proclaim there, that is in those gates, all of you, Judah, amend your ways and your doings. So after he burst the people's balloon about their popular but wrong idea about the temple being a place of refuge, trusting in the temple, Jeremiah then exposed the false prophets who constantly came against his ministry and led the people astray, again, with words that kill. And Jeremiah asked several questions here. But the whole message centers on one key question. Why didn't the nation turn back to God? In answering the question, Jeremiah dealt with three characteristics of the people's stubborn refusal to obey God. Let's begin with verses 1 through 3. At that time, and this is speaking of the, the, the last verse of chapter 7 and verse 31 where it says, uh, For the land shall be desolate. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them, that is, those bones, before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life, that is, they'd rather die than live, by all the residue or the remainder of those uh, of this evil family who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. So the threat that the graves of Judah's people would be opened just freaked the people out. They were horrified at this idea because, you see, they highly honored the dead. And they believed it was the highest desecration to open the graves after they'd been buried. And this would be a mocking punishment for these idol worshipers. You know, Jeremiah says that their bones, the, the, the graves would be open, their bones would be taken out, and those bones would be laid before the sun and the moon and the stars because they worshiped them. So, hey, let's take your bones and let's lay them out there before these gods that you worship, these gods that you thought could save them. The life of those surviving the siege wouldn't be much better off than those who died. They would be carried off to Babylon and the land would become desolate. And it says here that life would become so bad that they'd rather die than live. 
Because every kind of hardship in exile and imprisonment among the heathen was waiting for them, verse 3 says. Let's look at verses 4 through 7, and we see those three characteristics now uh, of the people's stubborn refusal to obey God. Verses 4 through 7. And Jeremiah says, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course or to his own way. And the horses rushes into the battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times. And the turtle dove, the swift and the swallow, observe the time of their coming. They observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. So one of the three characteristics of the people's stubborn refusal to obey God was irrational. It was irrational. The Lord grieves over how terrible the people of of Judah behaved. Jeremiah used similarities for human life and nature to make his point. You know, what what do people usually do when they fall down? Usually they get up again. You know, if they're not injured to the point where they, they can't do that. The normal thing is to get up again. It's the normal thing to do. If they find themselves walking on the wrong path, going in the wrong direction, what do they normally do? They go back. They get on the right path. Here's the point. If people can be sensible about these kind of things, these everyday matters, why can't they be sensible about eternal matters? Especially because the consequences are a lot more terrible. The people were so stubborn, they were like horses, Jeremiah says, rushing into battle, having no idea about the dangers that are involved. Nothing could turn them away from the path that they were on. They become set in their ways of habitually sinning. Now, horses are trained to obey, and they may not know any better. But people made in the image of God should know where they're going. And as a matter of fact, the people of Judah, they weren't as smart as the birds That's what Jeremiah is saying. God gave birds the instinct to know the seasons and and, and when to migrate. He says, like the stork and the turtle dove and the swallow there in verse 7. But God gave people so much more. God gave people a spirit within them to hear God's voice and to understand his law. They were made in the image of God so that men and women should be as obedient to divine instructions as birds are to the natural instinct that God gave them. But as God watched the nation, he saw the people living sinful lives by choice. Deceiving themselves into thinking that there wouldn't be any consequences. They had lost their perspective about God's will for their lives and they were trying to minimize their sin. God asked them in verse 5, why has this people slidden back? It's because they didn't listen to God's word. They, they, they believed the lies and not God's word. Verses 8 through 12, we have the second characteristic of the people's stubborn refusal to obey God. It was deception. Look at verses 8 through 12 now. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. 
He says, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they, notice, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Notice, when you reject the wisdom of God, the word of God, what wisdom do you have? Man's wisdom, the world's wisdom. Verse 10, therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them. Because from the least, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. The second characteristic, as I said, of the people's stubborn refusal to obey God was caused by deception. And God now is accusing the people of being deceived into thinking they were wise, verse 8 says. And he's blaming the religious leaders for this. He says to the people, your teachers have twisted the law by writing lies. The prophet and the priest have dealt falsely with you, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And even though the people claim to be wise, there's no way they were wise. Why? Because the people and their leaders, as verse 9 says, notice, have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Their greatest sin is that they're rejecting the word of God. Isn't that America's greatest sin tonight? Yes, it is. They've rejected the word of God. The popular feeling, the popular idea is, and we hear it all the time, if our economy is all right, we're all right. And when, they, when, when the, the polls are taken and, and the voters ask what seems to be the biggest thing on their list, it's the economy. It's the economy. But a lot of people are starting to realize that the, the economy can be all right and we can still be all wrong. It's not what happens on the outside, but what happens on the inside, that's the important thing. Just as the people boasted in chapter 7, oh, we're okay because we have the temple here. We have the temple. We're going to be okay. We're, 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 we're safe. They also boasted in verse 8 here that they had the law of the Lord. But having the scriptures are not the same as reading and practicing the scriptures. A lot of people have Bibles. The Bible is, is, the, is still a bestseller today. But it hasn't done culture very good, has it? Even though the Bible is the bestseller, its popularity, popularity is not keeping our society from breaking down morally and spiritually. There doesn't seem to be a connection between what the Bible say they believe and the way they believe. The false prophets who claim to be writing and speaking in the name of the Lord deceived the kingdom of Judah. They were men whose personal lives were godless. Their hearts were covetous. The remedies for the problems of the nation were useless, just like today. Oh, if we get the right person in office. Oh, if it's the right party. Oh, if there's enough money for this. Oh, if we do that. Oh, if we do this and that. Hey, it's been going on for years. And notice, have things gotten better? They've gotten worse. The false prophet's ministry was popular. 
Their ministry was popular because why? They focused on the superficial and they told the people whatever they wanted to hear. Jeremiah saw these men as deceitful physicians. He saw them as windbags full of hot air. He saw them as men who was giving out chaff and not wheat. He saw them as cruel and selfish shepherds. He saw them as infected people spreading disease. That was the word that they were telling. That's the word that kills. God had sent these, uh, God did not send these so-called prophets. And God did not give them the messages that they were giving. What happens to the Lord's people mostly depends on the leaders that they follow. Worldly leaders, they attract and produce worldly people. But you pay a price to follow spiritual leadership. Somebody said the Christian life isn't a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And when the ship is being attacked, the people do one of two things. They either jump ship or they stay aboard and man their battle stations. What ship are you riding on? Hey, it's, it's a lot easier to jump ship than to go with the flow. I'm sorry, it's much easier to, to jump ship, to go with the flow and go along with the crowd. It's, it's easy to do. But even a dead fish can flow downstream. Jeremiah didn't have a lot of friends or disciples. Why? He wasn't popular. He didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. He didn't make them feel good. God says these so-called wise men will be, verse 9 says, dismayed and taken. That is, taken by their own foolishness, taken uh, by their own trapped, their own traps. And verse 10 said, God is going to give their wives and their fields to others. They would become so hard-hearted, so callous in their self-deception that when their sins were exposed, verse 12 says, they weren't even ashamed. And people today are not afraid or ashamed of their sins. They're not. God goes on to say Judah is like a worthless grape or fig tree. A worthless grapevine or fig tree in verse 13 that won't give any fruit. It's, it's fruitless. Verse 13 says its leaves will wither and fade. The one lush plant, the one, uh, plant life that made up southern ki- the kingdom, God says to them in verse 13, I will surely consume. The one lush plant life that made up the southern kingdom, God says, I will surely consume in verse 13. He said they rejected the word of God in verse 9. When they should have meditated on the word of God day and night, as Psalm 1 says. They should have made the word of God their delight. And now the people and the religious leaders, verse 12 says, they will be cast down. That means they will fall. And they won't be able to get back up. There won't be anybody to help them. In verses 13 through 22, now we see the third characteristic of their stubborn refusal to obey the Lord that would, be, that would lead to judgment. Verses 13 through 22. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade. And the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we still sin? 
Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images with foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? The third characteristic of their stubborn refusal to obey the Lord would lead them to judgment. It would bring judgment. From these verses, you hear the voices of three groups of people speaking out. You hear God's voice proclaiming judgment. You hear the people's voice crying of despair. And there you hear Jeremiah's sad voice as he thought about how this great nation was going to be judged and it would be ruined. It broke his heart. God said the fields would be ruined in verse 13 and 17. He said the cities would be destroyed in verse 17 and the people would either be killed or taken captive, according to verse 19. He said it would be like drinking poison. Like experiencing an earthquake, like being attacked by poisonous snakes or being crushed and broken. Now, how did the people respond to this message? Well, instead of turning to the Lord, they ran off. They ran off to hide in their fortified cities, the the walled cities. And when they got there, their cry was, where's the Lord? Is he not here in Zion? Why did he let this happen? And you hear that so often. People who are living in sin and committing sin or or, are just not walking with the Lord and and God brings discipline and and, chastises them. Why is God doing this to me? And this is what they're doing here. The people in the country recognized the danger that they were in more than those in the cities, yet they seemed to get the feeling that even though they fled to the fortified cities, they'd eventually be silent there, that they'd be okay there. The word for silence actually means the silence of death. The water of gall mentioned in verse 14 would be bitter or poisoned water. And even though they wait for peace, nothing good comes. Even though they were hoping for healing, there would be no healing. Verse 15 says, just a lot of trouble. Jeremiah says, the enemy is already near. Verse 16 says, the snorting of horses was heard from Dan, which is the northern northern border of Judah. He says, for they have come and devoured the land. And the coming disaster is so sure that Jeremiah speaks as if it had already come. Notice in verse 16, they have come. No, they have come and devoured the land. 
Again, Jeremiah is speaking as if it had already happened, as if they had already come. The enemy is compared to serpents and vipers in verse 17. Serpents and vipers that can't be charmed, but will bite and devour the land. What Jeremiah is describing, what Jeremiah sees is so terrifying, he is sure that when he tries to comfort himself about the fate that he sees coming on the land, that he loves so much, it says his heart faints, verse 18 says. His heart faints. It breaks his heart. Because Jeremiah was a faithful shepherd, and that is heartbreaking. When you see people, you know, walking in sin, destroying their lives. Jeremiah identified with the hurts of the people. And he mourned in horror as he felt the heavy burden that was crushing the land. Verse 21 says, For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. He's hurting because he sees what's happening to his people. He seems to hear the people as though they were already in exile, crying out in shock. Verse 19, notice this. He says, Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? In other words, people, where's the Lord? That's what they're really saying. God answers them right away in verse 19. He says, why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images, with their foreign idols? You see, they made God angry because they thought that they could serve the Lord and their idols. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God with a divided heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You see, you can't go, you can't walk in two directions at the same time. Or be for something and also against it. You can't say, I love God. You can't say that you hate sin or you love sin and God because God hates sin. You can't walk in the two directions of something that's opposite. Time and experience tell us that love and loyalty to opposites at the same time is impossible. And that proves what Jesus said, that you can't serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24, again, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And, and mammon, you know, this speaks of money. But when he says you can't serve God and mammon, you can place something else there in, in the word of mammon. It, it can speak of deceitful riches. It can speak of money. It can speak of possessions or whatever you're trusting in. You can't serve them both. And the application of what Jesus said about you can't serve, you know, two masters. The application of what Jesus said about Christian service does away with the idea that a Christian can be worldly and spiritual at the same time. And that he can be popular with the ungodly and with God at the same time. God says you can't be friends with the world. And that he can be popular with the ungodly and with God at the same time. And that he can, get, uh, and that he can have his affections for earthly things even good things, and still have his or her affections on heavenly matters. 
Furthermore, Jesus is saying, says you cannot mix the beat of the world with the message of God. Demas couldn't mix the love of the world with the loyalty to Paul in his ministry, 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas loved the world over the ministry. We see a lot of this in ministry today. People want to serve, but only under their own terms. Only under their own conditions. Why? It's easier that way. Ministry isn't a job. Ministry always demands something more, and that something more is sacrifice. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If the servant's life is without some measure of pain and sacrifice, their ministry will be without blessing. 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not, David said, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. Every servant of God lives in one of these two verses. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Philippians 2.21, For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Hey, there's no easy way to serve the Lord. There's no easy way to serve the Lord. Knowing how bad things really are, Jeremiah cries out with great sadness in verse 20. Look what he says. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. We find three things in this verse. The harvest is past, which acknowledges opportunity. We see that the summer is ended, which is a confession of neglect. And we're not saved. The anticipation of doom. The Jews' complaint was that, was that God hadn't saved them. As if God was obligated to save them. As if they had some kind of right and God was to step in. So they complained as if they'd been mistreated. A nation that had been neglected by their protector. And this complaint was totally unfair. And it was based on wrong ideas. Because there were many reasons why they weren't saved and why God hadn't delivered them. First of all, they had looked to the wrong source for deliverance. They thought that the Egyptians would deliver them. And there are many people today, they believe the same foolish idea in their hearts that there are many ways to uh, to salvation. They're not saved and they never will be as long as they keep looking away from God to other sources. And as long as we totally depend upon ourselves, it's the same as looking to Egypt for help. The psalmist said in Psalm 49, 6 and 7, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them, that is none of those things, can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. Whether you depend on ceremonies or prayers or you're trusting in your own works to improve yourself morally, it's still the same proud foolishness of self-dependence. All trust apart from Jesus Christ is a mistake and a deception. No man can help us. Eternal unfruitfulness is the result of those who trust in man. The second thing. Those people took pride in their outward privileges. And they took it for granted that they had a special position with God because they were chosen. They were God's chosen people. 
Because again, they said in verse 19, is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Faith in Jesus Christ is what we need more than anything else. It doesn't matter one bit if you were born of Christian parents. You have to be born again, Jesus said. It doesn't matter if you sit sincerely as God's people in a church service. Your heart has to be changed. It doesn't matter if you observe the Lord's day. And it doesn't matter if you read your Bible. And it doesn't matter how you pray or whether you read day and night. Unless you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, everything we do is useless without faith in the living Christ. The third reason the people weren't saved. There was another, uh, 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 another and very strong reason why these people weren't saved. Even with all of their religious fervor and being a nation whose, God's, who, who, whose God said that he would dwell with them, they continued to provoke the Lord. They had, they had not forsaken their sin. God will save the sinner from his sin, but he will not save the sinner in his sin or with his sin. You have to forsake sin if you want to be cleansed of the guilt of sin. There's no way you can continue practicing sin and yet be saved. It's a wicked and distorted assumption. Because Jesus came and he died to save us from our sins, not in our sins, or to make it safe to do evil. The fourth reason that the people weren't saved. Another reason, again, because they made being saved from trouble the main thing. In other words, they, they weren't con- so much concerned about the sin that grieved the heart of God. They were concerned about the consequences of the sin. They wanted to be saved from the consequences of their sin. Was there ever a murderer who didn't wish to be saved from the electric chair? When a man is ready to suffer for the consequences of his sin, he repents because he has to suffer for it. But that's all. It was like Cain. When, Cain, when God pronounced judgment on Cain for murdering his brother, Cain said, Oh, Lord, my, my punishment is more than I can bear. There was no confession. There was no, Lord, I'm sorry for what I had done. He was bummed out because of the consequences he was going to face because of God's judgment. He wasn't sorry for the misery that he caused the innocent victim, his brother. There's no regret for injuring his brother or for taking his life. What good is that kind of repentance? The fifth reason the people weren't saved. They couldn't be because verse 9 said they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Do you read your Bible privately? Do you, do you ever read it with a sincere prayer that God would teach you what you really are and to make you to be a true believer in Christ? Does reading your Bible impact your life? Do you read it with regard to yourself? Asking God to teach you what it means and to make, make it touch your conscience. Do you reply no to that? Why then do you wonder why you're not saved? When you hear the gospel, do you ask, what does this have to do with me? Or do you listen to it as a, as a general truth, but not concerned about it? 
And there was a further reason why some men aren't saved, and that's, bef- that's because they prefer to hear good things, as they did here. They love to hear flattery. Oh, peace, peace. Everything's going to be okay when there is no peace. And they choose to follow leaders who will agree with their feelings. Paul said in Timothy 4, 3, 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The wise person will go to the word of God that that has the power to kill and to make alive. You know, when you go to the doctor, do you want a doctor to give you a real nice, rosy, flowery opinion? Do you want him to say, oh, hey, don't worry. It's not a big deal. You can eat whatever you want. You'll be okay soon. No, if he talks to you like this, when he knows that you have a, a, a deadly disease, he's a liar and a deceiver. You, you know, you're being foolish to listen to a man like this and then condemn your neighbor who tells you the truth. I don't want to hear that. Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 4, 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Do you want to be misled? Do you want to be lied to? Do you want to be deceived? Do you want to think you're going to heaven and then one day wake up in hell? The seventh reason why the people weren't saved, they were guilty of all of these things. And they still wondered why they weren't saved. And yet they never repented of their sin. Repentance was a joke to them. They didn't even have the grace to even feel ashamed. And yet they complained to God. The harvest is past. The summer has ended and we're still not saved. How terribly foolish they were being. In closing. All of this happened because they were disobedient and unfaithful to the covenant they had made with God. Their situation was hopeless. Nobody would come to save them. They had missed their God-given opportunity and it would never come again. The false prophets had made a wrong judgment and they had prescribed a wrong, a wrong remedy and the wounds of the nation were still open. They were still bleeding and infected. You know, Jeremiah says, they say, is there no balm in Gilead? Gilead was known for the bomb that was made there from the resin of the, of the mastic tree. This, he said, is there no physician? The expected answer is, is, is yes, since there is a physician here and a remedy within reach. So why then was there no recovery, verse 20 said? Why wasn't there any healing? Because there's only one answer. The people haven't gone to the physician. They didn't seek a true remedy. They've neglected the only source of real help. And that is they didn't pay attention to God's warning and his patience had reached its limit. Father, we thank you so much for this great, this great chapter, Lord. Father, help us not to have itching ears, God. Help us not to be deceived 
by lying words, God. By comforting words that are not of you, Lord. God, help us to decipher, to have discernment, God, of words of truth and words of lies, words that kill, kill the soul. Father, help us, God, to serve you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, God. Let us not be pressured by this world to conform to this world. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. And if there's anyone here tonight or maybe watching tonight through the internet that has never received Christ, you're not saved as the people proclaimed in Jeremiah here. But the Holy Spirit has has brought conviction to your heart for, for, for taking all the wrong roads, for following all the wrong people, for listening to all the wrong words regarding to salvation. Jesus said you must be born again. Born again of the Spirit. A rebirth given by heaven. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to say this sinner's prayer out loud and you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, Please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you I am a sinner. Please cleanse me and wash me of all of my sins. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to walk with you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for dying for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, and uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, see me, Pastor Tony, one of the ushers. We'd be more than glad to give you one. And again, uh, get yourself into a Bible teaching church where you'll begin to learn and to grow in God's Word. God bless you guys. Uh, Sunday morning will be uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1.